Hello and welcome to Nearly Sacred, Episode 2, a podcast dedicated to all those things mystical, spiritual, or at least nearly so. I am Joe Bell Shirts here along with Melissa Sims. Our sponsors are Alchemy, our own little metaphysical store located in the heart of Princeton, Kentucky. Our segments today include none whatsoever, because today we have a guest and I will introduce him forthwith. Stick around. Our guest today is Stuart Mitchell. Stuart is a cutting-edge composer from Edinburgh, Scotland. Stuart is involved in many new techniques using science and alternative methods to bend music in ways we have never heard them. Since 1990, Stuart has developed a technique to turn DNA into music. He has worked with many types of DNA, including animals and plants, to create a truly new way of experiencing humanity as well as the world. Stuart has also discovered hidden codes using music. Stuart, along with his father, Tommy, discovered musical codes hidden within Rosalind Chapel, and in 2006, they released the Rosalind Motet. By using cymatics, they were able to find that within the ceiling of Rosalind, there was a song, and for the first time, we heard her sing. Stuart has also composed and recorded a full suite. The Seven Wonders Suite for Orchestra was recorded in 2004 and has propelled Stuart to be counted amongst the world's most talented composers. He is listed in Classic FM's Hall of Fame. To find out more about Stuart and his works, you can find out on his website, www.stuart-mitchell.com. It's my honor and pleasure to introduce Stuart Mitchell. Hello there. Hey, Stu. Hey, Belle. God, it feels like you're here in Scotland still. <laughs> I know. Sometimes I think I'm still there myself. I wake up and I don't know where I'm at half the time. Uh, listen, if you were here right now, you'd be on the first plane back to Kentucky because it's so cold here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet. Well, it was cold enough for me when I was there first, right off the sea, so... Uh, well, that's the warmest it's been in a decade. <laughs> yeah, I, I brought it with me, right? Scotland was like, hey, look who's here, Melissa, so we're going to make it really nice. We wanted the bees left. <laughs> <laughs> right? We had snow as well this morning, so we woke up to uh, a little bit of fun, too. I would prefer the snow JB to be honest because it, it creates a nice blanket and it, it just feels actually warmer in a sense yeah. than, the, than the wind and rain that we've got here at the moment. But we're nice and warm in, in the house here and we've got music and... Uh, I don't believe you're warm yeah. at all. I, I was there. It wasn't warm at all, ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got the heating sorted. So <laughs> warm for you. Yeah, you're used to it. dripping from our nose. <laughs> <laughs> Just for the record, ladies and gentlemen, Scotland is not warm. No. It was when I was there, but it, no. Yeah, in, in fact, I think the polar bears are moving in. It's the, <laughs> the Arctic. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's new, Stu? You've been talking about, I uh, noticed you've got some new things going on. We discussed some of the things you've done in the past, and um, what you got new going on? Uh, you were talking about stretching music. That <laughs> kind of makes me laugh to say it, but what's that all about? Yeah, yeah, uh, it's it's really interesting concept. Um, I mean, stretching music's been around um, for a while with a, a technology, uh, but some of it uh, you couldn't do very well before because it kind of lowered the key sometimes and it would distort and it wasn't very good. But they've developed some software now that you can actually uh, it, it preserves the the actual audio, but actually just stretches it out like an elastic band. And uh, it really makes you think uh, about music in a completely different manner. Mm. We're so used to a sort of tempo and a speed and uh, a sort of metronomic beat uh, to it, uh, even with classical music. But when you stretch it out, suddenly the whole idea of rhythm just goes right out the window. 
and you're kind of drawn along. One note can take up to about one minute to actually uh, fulfill its place in the piece. And and you're, it's very ethereal and hypnotic. It's a completely mm -hmm. different way of looking at music. Yeah, I, I noticed when I was listening to that piece that you sent me that it, it literally was very hypnotic. It kind of put me into a a state, almost like trance-like. You know, I was just—it was so relaxing. I really enjoyed it. It's 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 one of these. I mean, it, I suppose you could apply that to so many things in life. Uh, uh, I mean, if we looked at life going so slow, you know, it's like when they do these beautiful nature shots of eagles catching fish and mm -hmm. any animal, really, when you put it into slow mo, you're really capturing and savoring every moment of it. Mm -hmm. And it's, it, it's, it, it works visually as well as it does audibly. Mm -hmm. um, but, it, but yeah, I'm wondering uh, to myself exactly what that does, Mel. Um, in, in taking you into a trance-like state, and I think it's because the essence of rhythm is so kind of no longer there. You're not driven by the rhythm. Mm -hmm. If anything, you are the rhythm. It kind of puts a sense of I don't know, um, like 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 floating freely in space. Mm -hmm. If you could imagine, it's like almost like anti-gravity. Yeah, you just you feel yourself kind of free-floating. Um, what The piece that we first chose, Lewis and I, my son, uh, was Chopin's Prelude in E minor. And we stretched it by the amount of years um, between the time it was composed and the present moment. Hmm. And times it by pi, or divided it by pi. And we got this uh, figure of, of 628. Um, and as we stretched it, 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 the idea was like, oh my goodness, if Chopin only knew that we're listening to his music I'm almost stretched over the period of time since he wrote it, uh, I wonder what he would have thought about it, you mm -hmm. know? He probably, he probably might not have liked it or understood it, mm -hmm. but he, he probably couldn't help but maybe having a bit of a tr sort of almost trance-like state about it himself, you know? I would I would imagine that um, the essence of rhythm is is basically time anyway. So if the time is not externalized, in other words, if it's more internalized, it's kind of moving the locus from uh, the outside, sort of dictating what your note should be to the inside, and a little bit more introspective almost. Yeah, it's taking an element um, and making uh, our perception of rhythm completely different. I mean, the rhythm's still there, JB. It's just such a space between the metronomic uh, 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 pulses of each bar that it, it, it is, it's, it's a bit like the vacuum, well, in fact it's a bit like our universe expanding and you know contracting its, uh, well not contracting but expanding itself out and the, the sense of time uh, contracting. What happens if you play the expanded piece next to like a contracted version of it? Have you, have you tried that? Uh, yes, um, it, 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 it kind of clashes in a way because um, the, the two are equally beautiful. I mean, you have to say that Chopin's Prelude in E minor is a slow piece anyway, and it's and it's very hypnotic and it does put you into a state um, of of peace and 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 inner thoughts. But when it's when it's when you put them both together. Uh, Chopin's Prelude's over in about sort of two minutes in its normal state, 
uh, one minute 50 seconds. Uh, but in the state that we've got it at the moment, it takes around about 90 minutes to complete. That's, a little, bit, that's a little bit longer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But it, it's quite strange because it, it's quite funny what Melissa said uh, uh, on Facebook. Uh, she went, that's very good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, imagine, imagine if we all sort of took our time in that kind of way to speak, to think, to create. To savor uh, each moment with one another, which I what, I what I was mostly trying to do when I was in Europe, when I was staying there, I felt like <clears throat> one thing I wanted to uh, try to take each moment and then just internalize it and um, capture it in my mind and in my heart. So it, it does feel to me like I am still over there in certain aspects. Um, yeah. So the whole the whole trip for me was kind of a meditation, actually, even if we're sitting in the pub I, talking. I think you're a doppelganger. Remember when we went to the art gallery? Yes. And, and the whole sense of time just kind of was stretched. Mm -hmm. I was looking at these beautiful works of art. These some of these paintings that you've got photographs of. Maybe you can put some up on the website. Mm -hmm. um, uh, when you're staring, when you're looking into a painting. Uh, like what we were, there is a paintings do also have a stretched sense of mm -hmm. time. Think about it. Mm -hmm. Or know, is that your way of saying you you were just tired of it and time felt like it was stretched? <laughs> well, I'm just kidding. That's a really good point, Mel, because the human race is in such a hurry. I mean, 24 hours a day these days goes very quick, mm -hmm. a lot quicker than it was when I was younger. Isn't that the truth? And and that's got a lot to do with today's technology, the media, the internet, and all the all the, 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 the technological luxuries that we've got. It's almost like there's a clock ticking above us all the time. Mm -hmm. But in the 70s, uh, I'm a bit older than both of you, um, but, uh, you months. know, gosh, I didn't have a watch when I was young. Clocks weren't so you know, um, prolific everywhere like you do now. You've got clocks on your phones mm -hmm. and you've got clocks everywhere. People weren't so bothered about the concept of time. Mm -hmm. True. And uh, But today we're kind of driven by it. In fact, I'd, sometimes I go, where, where did this week go? You right, know what I mean? right, right, right. So let's talk a little bit about some of the things that you've done and developed, one of them being DNA music. Um, that's fascinating, Stu. So, um, could you tell us a little bit about how you came about the idea and the concept? You said you started this in like 1990, the idea of it and how that kind of developed for you and its implications. What does it mean? Yeah, uh, well, my, my, my best friend, Drew, um, who's been helping me for years, uh, I remember we sat down, I think it was about 1990, and uh, Drew said, make a list of all the projects that you want to work on over the next sort of 10, 20 years. And I did, I made this massive long list of ideas, things that I'd like to get into. Rosalind Chapel was one of them. Mm -hmm. And I'd heard about DNA. Uh, and if you can, can you remember what the internet was like in the early <laughs> 90s? Bulletin boards, that's what I remember, and CompuServe. <laughs> it was quite funny, actually. It would be really cool if we went back, and, uh, because um, some information that was coming out was, was still in its infancy. 
but um, I was in, I, I've always been interested to see where music leads, and I think Roslyn Chapel really got me into the DNA thing fully uh, because of its connection with nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've always loved nature, and uh, Drew's actually become a, a wonderful nature photographer. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like I'm doing kind of uh, nature portraits of animals mm-hmm. using their DNA. The DNA explanation and its connection with music uh, is actually, uh, it can be complicated and it can be very simple. Uh, the simple answer is that it uses a sonic mechanism, an acoustic mechanism, uh, in order for it to duplicate itself. So from a flower to a human being to a tree to uh, any um, uh, living uh, DNA entity, it's using a, uh, I'm scared to say musical system, uh, because uh, the human conception of music is slightly different from the way that nature uses it. But nature (coughs) uses acoustics and sound. Um, right at the very heart of um, uh, DNA's function. And that's where musicians can step in and, you know, um, take the sequences and listen. We have a playback mechanism software now where it reads the DNA and I I can listen back to a very basic melody relating to that species. I, I should probably specify for the viewers, you're using mitochondrial DNA, correct? I'm using uh, both, well, three different types of DNA now, uh, JB. Mitochondrial is really interesting because um, one one humpback whale, for example, will carry the same mitochondrial DNA as another humpback whale on the other side of the world. So that gives us a kind of uh, musical barcode, if you like. Yeah, that's uh, what I was reading. Uh, You know, my... My genetics, it's been a while since I've had it, but uh, I remember the mitochondria were specified as the powerhouse of the cell, and that what I had read was that it was circular as opposed to being, um, I guess, more helix-shaped. That's right. That's exactly right. Um, And um, it's actually supposed to be a virus that attached itself to um, DNA on this planet a long time ago. We're talking, you know, maybe a couple of billion years ago. Uh, and and mitochondrial seems to be an outside DNA system that, uh, yes, it powers, it's like the battery of of the thing and and it creates the energy and almost electrical um, uh, circuit uh, for the DNA to operate. Um, And it also has a a lot to do with the longevity of people. Uh, You know how, JB, a lot of scientists kind of think that uh, if you can slow down the, the mitochondrial that people will live longer because it's it literally the battery running out. Yeah, I believe the mitochondrial, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it's inherited from the mother's side, correct? Yeah. Right. That's, it's totally inherited. Now, this is where I'm really glad you said this because the mitochondrial melodies that we get are almost like um, nursery rhymes, like lullabies. <laughs> and And been passed on by mothers, uh, it, it's really interesting to think that over the centuries that uh, human beings who have, and birds and humpback whales who all sing music uh, have been singing something that's actually in their DNA, that these melodies are coming out just like you would sing a lullaby or a child to sleep. Kind of puts a uh, music of the spheres type of notion in your mind, doesn't it? Well, it, 
it's like I said in the beginning about uh, DNA, that nature's employing uh, a, a, a certain kind of sonic musical system in order for, for, for this to operate. And by the way, DNA operates at a huge efficiency level. I mean, we're talking about one mistake in millions of, of letters of code. And if it does make a mistake, it's got three or four backup copies of itself. <laughs> so it can it can pair that mistake, yet it's still using an, an acoustic uh, system. I'll go into that a little bit very quickly. Is um, this element called a solid tone, and the solid tone is a little sonic package. Hey Stu, hold on, just we're going to take a quick break, and you can pick up when we start on the other side. Sure. Are you hungry for astrology? Are you interested in the metaphysical properties of stones? Are you wanting to learn more about Reiki, reflexology? Where can you learn more about these things? Well, on 112 East Court Square in Princeton, Kentucky, the store Alchemy has this and more. The knowledgeable staff is familiar with these modalities along with many others. Come on down, 112 East Court Square, and let your journey begin. Okay, hi, welcome back. Uh, we're with Stuart Mitchell and we're discussing uh, DNA and music and some of the implications. And Stuart, you were just discussing um, how music and DNA, uh, a little bit, getting a little bit more technical about it, uh, if you want to go ahead and continue. Well, just brief, briefly, um, uh, it's, and it's really interesting, uh, this, this little solid tone uh, that the uh, DNA uses to unzip its uh, helix. Um, and again, we're looking at geometry and sound. Uh, the helix is, is this beautiful spiral pattern that, 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 that compacts the information, uh, billions of bits of information uh, very efficiently. But this little solid tone, and it is exactly what it sounds, a solo tone. Hmm. Uh, as this solid tone reads the DNA, it, the ACTG sequence that we're also familiar with, uh, but it does it in triplets. Da da da. One two three. One two three. One two three. A C T T T G, and it goes on like this. And the solitone reads it and actually emits a frequency as it reads the code and pulls an amino and the amino acid that's relative to that frequency starts building a protein. Realizes that that's its calling card, mm -hmm. and this all happens at. Uh, really high speeds of uh, 3,000 nucleotides per minute, about 50 nucleotides per second. So it's actually one of the most, instead of a stretched piece of music, we're getting a very compact piece of music that's happening very, very quickly and efficiently. Um, and it is a music as such. Uh, so what we do um, is we bring it down from the octaves, uh, the very high resonant octaves, uh, of frequency that DNA is using, we bring it down into the, the human range of hearing and uh, appreciation. And one of the most beautiful things about it is, uh, like my new album, um, DNA Variations, The Sky, we're focusing on, on the mitochondrial DNA of birds. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're listening back to a, 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 a golden eagle or a flamingo or a hummingbird. And it's beautiful, by the way, beautiful almost painting painting a, 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 a tone portrait of this animal, its 
its instincts, its its lifestyle, its uh, nuances, all its different little um, uh, characters. And we can, as a musician, as a, an artist, um, pull this out and bring this into this uh, very basic melody that we get from its DNA. So it's kind of like little uh, little DNA tone paintings that we're doing of all these these animals, and it should give people an interesting perspective on 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 nature. Have That's you the main goal? Of mm-hmm. it. Have you tried anything with dinosaurs yet? Mm. We've done a T Rex. Really cool. I didn't know you had a T Rex. Yeah, we that we uh, well. When, on the internet about sort of t- there's a brilliant database on the internet if anybody's interested in doing this there's a database that's got everything from Tutankhamun to uh, a T-Rex because uh, some doctor in a lab in America somewhere dropped a, a, a T-Rex thigh bone on the floor by accident and it split open and they actually found some uh, cartilage uh, cartilage mm-hmm. They found uh, uh, enough collagen to pull together uh, a DNA sequence hmm. from it, and uh, we—it's not a very long sequence, but it was scary as heck. I must admit. That's just the Jurassic Suite. That's the—that's uh, the reason why they're not around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, John Williams beat me to it. Um, <laughs> Uh, but no, but it's interesting because it does sound kind of alien. I'll tell you what else sounded alien was. We did Tutankhamun mm. as well, and that sounded extremely, like you know, very unhuman kind of interesting. Uh, so not 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 of this planet. Yeah, he was Ark Naughton's son, right? That's right. was the bad boy of Egypt. If yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, he he was Egypt gone wild. Yeah, Egypt gone wild. All right, so um, do you have any other questions, Joe Bill, that you want that you want about DNA music? Is Stuart still there, number one? Yeah, yeah, yes. Uh, I was just let my friend in the door. Oh, okay. Hey, Drew. This is my my partner in uh, all our studies and things. It's all his fault. Well, <laughs> Everything that happens. One question I would have is. Um, when you decided on how to transcribe the the notes to the the DNA, did you did you use an algorithm or did you use your ear or how did you decide what you were going to do with that? Um, well, we were really lucky because about so, ten years ago, uh, a guy called John Dunn um, developed a software that uh, is a kind of graph. You've got three octaves of music down one side, and you've got along the top all the twenty two amino acids. So it can um, apply the amino acids to the relevant frequencies, and all you need to do is drop the sequence into the program, and it plays back MIDI notes. Wow. Um, so it's kind of a way of reading DNA in a musical format. But before that program uh, was people like Susan Alexander and David Diemer, who used a similar system to um, you know, decode the... Um, uh, DNA into music, and uh, there wasn't any actual technological software around it that did it automatically, so you kind of had to do it in a bit of a sort of pencil graph. Hmm. But um, it's all based on the 22 amino acids, uh, water, salt, and acid content, and uh, these three elements uh, produce 
um, a sort of almost electrical frequency. Um, and it's that frequency that, that becomes sort of semi-acoustic in the fluid water of DNA. Yeah, so reminds me a little bit of alchemy with the salt and the mercury and all that. Well, that's right. I mean, basically, it's, it, nature's an alchemist. Mm -hmm. Melissa, you would agree with that as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So one thing that I think is interesting is, is where you're located, which is Edinburgh, Scotland. And right outside of Edinburgh is uh, Roslyn, the little town of Roslyn. And yeah. uh, we have Roslyn Chapel, Chapel there of uh, the Da Vinci Code fame and Knights Templars and all of that stuff. And as well as that's where Dolly the Sheep was cloned. And um, also there's this connection. We talked about this too when I was there, how strange it was, how, you know, here you're doing DNA music in such a small uh, relative area to um, all this forward cutting-edge stuff happening with DNA and it even connects to Rosalind Chapel with the apprentice pillar it looks well, like a DNA right. helix so it's all kind of very interesting uh, well you know it's, it, it, what, I, what I think that the connections are there Mel is this sort of a almost subliminal subliminal psychic uh, idea about geometry now, if you, you've been to Roslyn, mm -hmm. and you can see that they've gone to great lengths about sacred geometry. Mm -hmm. I mean, this, this is what it's really sort of shouting out, isn't it? Yes. And, and, and um, it was weird that when we, when we did the music and we were looking at the patterns on the, the cubes, that I kept putting cymatics aside, cymatics being this uh, mechanism where you can uh, uh, produce a musical note, and with the right materials, uh, the musical note will produce its own relevant geometric pattern. Mm -hmm. And it was really unheard of when we, when I started looking at the the, the shapes and the cubes and trying to figure out how is that a musical note. Um, it seems so obvious to me now, but at the time. Um, cymatics or, or sound patterns wasn't really something that you were educated about either in school mm. or university. It was something kind of, you know, fringe that, that, that seemed to be more of an interesting sort of magic trick of nature or a phenomenon of nature. Mm -hmm. uh, I left cymatics till the very end um, because I didn't think it was actually relevant, and then we found that all the patterns in Roslyn were actually contained in all the patterns that were that, that were sitting there um, in Roslyn Chapel. So that's where we found them all under one sort of roof. If you know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, um, cymatics goes all the way back to uh, China, right? Isn't that where you um, where they didn't they use it to um, t um, get their gongs in tune and and such? That's right. Well, that's in human terms, Mel. But if you think about it, cymatics is is, is almost like a, an intrinsic part of evolution. Absolutely. Uh, from DNA. So I mean, um, uh, even if a T Rex, you know, farted over a, a pond, <laughs> uh, you, you 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 would get these interesting patterns happening. So uh, there's all sorts of things that that uh, where cymatics is interplaying with nature, and that's where the Chinese. Uh, picked up in it because the Chinese uh, in my studies of ancient Chinese art which I've been doing the last couple of years uh, they were fascinated with patterns in nature 
the wind blowing over the water, the uh, uh, you know the, the the patterns in flowers and sunflowers, uh, even the, even the patterns in bird migrations, they they were absolutely fascinated that nature used patterns, and so we can see that cymatics should have been one of these subjects that was sort of almost intrinsic with uh, the, the 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 teaching of nature and evolution. Have you compared uh, the cymatics to, say, the ancient text of the I Ching at all? Yeah, that's really interesting. Now, that is interesting because um, of the similarity in mathematics that there's 64 codons in DNA, um, and there's uh, 64 of these little symbols in the I Ching, and the I Ching in the DNA is constantly, um, uh, sorry, 64 genes. Uh, and the 64 uh, elements of, of, of the uh, symbols of the I Ching. And so they're constantly sort of recognized together as sort of an, an entwined system. I don't know if the, if the Chinese would have known about DNA, but uh, they were certainly on the right track by looking at the patterns in nature. So like a fractal, mm-hmm. you know, as above, so below. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. The uh, the Chinese, like the I Ching and lots of those, that 64 comes up a lot. And, of course, your chessboard has 64 squares, too. So I was just curious if you'd mapped uh, the cymatics to those at all. Well, yes. Uh, my, I've got a partner in Italy um, who works for a company called Human Design. And he developed a system um, of, uh, in the same way that we take the DNA code, he would uh, string together uh, an RNA sequence. Uh, from their uh, I Ching code. Huh. So he would send me the RNA sequence and we, we produced some really beautiful music for people as well using the I Ching. Uh, it hasn't taken off because it's more esoteric right. uh, than anything, but, uh, and the DNA is, you know, sort of more scientific right. and understandable. Uh, but as above, so below, they, they both you know, possibly call the same thing, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Just so people know, um, you actually produced um, the Rosalind Motet from your discovery uh, that you and Tommy made uh, that you released in 2006, and you can even hear it played uh, at Rosalind Chapel, I think. I don't know if you might we be did, like a link to that on the website. Yeah, we're going to give links and uh, to everything that we discuss and uh, probably have some uh, tracks to listen to. Um, well, we have a concert. We have a concert of Rosalind Chapel, uh, Rosalind Motet in Rosalind on April the twenty fourth. Ah, I wish I could go. Uh, no, you'd like to because this time we're using a, a beautiful harpist. Oh, uh, wonderful! For a change, uh, it's, it's actually quite an expensive little thing to do. How ironic that uh, in fourteen forty six. The musicians would have all probably come along and done it for nothing, but unfortunately today they charge me hundreds of pounds. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's progress. <laughs> right. That's progress for you, yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, it's, it's, it's um, a nice concert that we're going to put together. Um, we haven't actually done a concert there for about two or three years, and um, it's, it's, the kind, it's the kind of project that will never kind of go to sleep, you know, people, will, they'll always be, uh, it kind of interests younger generations mm-hmm. as well. Okay, we're going to take another quick break. Hold on just a second. Okay.
Have you ever wished that your life had a map, or a compass, or at least someone to point the way? Well, HermeticLightLifeCoaching.com, we can do just that. We offer tarot and astrology, and other services to help orient you along your life path. Go to HermeticLightLifeCoaching.com today, and see the different price points that we have. Most of our services can be rendered over the phone, or the internet. It's very handy to have a map in life. Go to HermeticLightLifeCoaching.com today, and get yours. Back, we're with Stuart Mitchell, and we've been discussing cymatics and Rosalind Chapel and uh, some of the discoveries that he made there. Uh, so, um, Stuart, uh, one of the things that I found interesting when I came to visit was um, the discovery of the beehive that had been carved into Rosalind or built within Rosalind. And uh, I was really honored that a bee came down and gave me a kiss while I was there. That was like the biggest, probably most dramatic experience of my life. Uh, you caught that on. Put that photo up in the website. Yeah, that was awesome. And uh, I was always um, kind of interested in what you thought uh, about how the resonance of the bees. Now, the chapel was dedicated to St. John the Baptist or St. Matthew. How does that tie in? Uh, well, in 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 the um, passages in Saint Matthew in in the Bible, um, we chose the text uh, to Saint John the Baptist, uh, his 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 trials and tribulations in the desert and uh, living off of wild bees and honey and locusts. And I was really surprised to find that the same text it's called Ukian Laxus, and Ukian Laxus was and that verses that come after it was the foundation of the do re mi fa sol la ti do music that we all know today the solfeggio sequence mm -hmm. which was out of egypt in part two right that's right yeah, yeah. because it starts ut kian laxus um now ut was uh then later substituted for do uh mm. and then re was resonari fibrous and mi uh, affari and so on. So we got do re mi fa sol la ti do, uh, and uh, an entire musical system uh, from the same verse as I used for the Rosalind Chapel uh, text for the music, and it was because uh, of that connection with Saint Matthew, and it was all about Saint John the Baptist that a lot of people, um, including my father as well. Um, figured that, that this must have something to do with the Knight Templars because they were known as Johnites. Mm -hmm. Knights of St. John. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the uh, the Templar tradition is pretty heavy in the St. John side. Yeah, yeah, but, but for some reason, uh, Rosden Chapel don't seem to be too um, hot in that. They like to kind of avoid the Knight Templar things. Um, I don't know why. Uh, but uh, there seems to be a lot of Templar connections there, um, especially as it moved on to Freemasonry later on as well. Um, yeah, that one of the things um, I was going to kind of uh, mention is that it's interesting, you're doing DNA music and um, the cymatics and Rosalind and whatnot in the sound and the shape, and then there's Dolly that's been cloned. And then there's all these links, and they all kind of have to do with. Um, actually, before I say that, isn't there a hexagonal shape on um, on Saturn that you discovered, Stu? Uh, well, yeah. Um, uh, the, the Cassini probe sent back these amazing photographs of uh, this hexagon. It was, it was such an amazing timing as well because we just got cymatics uh, in the bag with Rosalind, um, and I have to say. 
when Drew and I started looking at cymatics on YouTube at that time, before we'd written the Rosamotet, um, there was only two or three cymatic videos up there. There was less than ten, I would say. But today, can you see all the cymatic videos that, mm -hmm. are, that are on, on YouTube today? There's a hundred thousand of them. And some of them produced with lots of money as well. Mm -hmm. So I, I kind of feel proud in the way that, that uh, at the very least, we brought the attention of cymatic to people. Mm -hmm. But it's like, and if we take the Templars and the Chinese, that uh, they're using these geometric and the, these formulas uh, in, in all the, the Templars use them in all the cathedrals, the Chinese use them in all their architecture, uh, in the writings, even the calligraphy of Chinese writing is almost geometric or, you know, beautiful uh, artistic little shapes. Um, so the Templars have probably picked up on a lot of this sort of natural, uh, a, a natural architectural system. Um, and this is why the bees, we come back to the bees at Roslyn, mm -hmm. is that, that the, the bees emit this tone when they're in full swarm. And it creates a drone. Interesting, there's, there's bees called drones as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and this drone is has been recorded um, around about 216 hertz. Uh, when all when they're all shaking their bums and flapping their wings, <laughs> uh, you, you get this um, uh, interesting tone. So if you were sat in Roslyn, 1446, in high summer and uh, the bees were in full swarm and there was 12 beehives in total. Wasn't that right, Mel? Was mm. 12? Mm -hmm. Yes, that's uh, what he said. You had stereo beehives all the way down the chapel and this, all you would have heard was this, this, this resonant tone just like singing out throughout the, um, uh, throughout the chapel. And uh, 216 hertz is a low A which would actually go with all the, it would act as a, a, a pedal note, drone note, mm -hmm. throughout the, 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 the Rosamotet piece. And, and uh, one of these days we might try that. Actually. Yeah, it would be cool. I, I've read elsewhere, Stuart, that uh, Rosalind was a, uh, at times used for funerary purposes, as most chapels are, and supposedly the bees, uh, what I was reading, they said that the frequency of it would help the soul leave this realm or something faster. Have you found anything like that? <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I was uh, more sort of along the lines of it was a healing place. Right. You know how they, how they found out that Stonehenge was a kind of uh, place of healing where the, the, the Druids uh, had medicines for people who who were ill or had toothache or whatever. Um, uh, Rosin Chapel is reckoned now to be a kind of a, uh, a place of healing. And I would imagine that, 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 that yeah, that, that, that the bees um, drone uh, would be like listening to, to a universal om note that was being chanted, mm -hmm. right. almost like a like a trans transcendental chant, mm -hmm. um, and that can only be therapeutic for you. Right, and, and bees build hives in a hexagonal shape too, which is uh, goes back into hexagons on Saturn, maybe. <laughs> Well, yeah, uh, that that hexagon in Saturn is forty-seven thousand kilometers. Uh, you can get four Earths from one end to the other. There's a big giant Earths. bee sitting down there, probably just you know in the middle of Saturn. That's what it is. That's what we're going to find it's a out. Gigantic beehive. Big well, ass beehive. Heck of a big bee on <laughs> Saturn. <laughs> <laughs> it, it has a big sky with it as well, so that when your time's up, it just it kills you. <laughs> 
yeah, you'll probably find under the clouds it's all honey all over the place. <laughs> Uh, but no, it was really interesting to see that pattern, and uh, um, they've simulated what's happening in a bucket of water. You can spin the water very, very quick, and a, a hexagonal uh, shape will, will yep. start to appear. Yeah. Um, so it's it's it really what what it means is, is the cymatics um, is uh, fundamental in in the physics of the universe. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's physics thing. It's an acoustic. It's what's thing. used to basically construct this whole world, wouldn't you say? The, yeah, visu- well, the visual I world. I mean, it, we we do need a medium. I mean, I don't I don't know. The next experiment would be to try somatics in space, but I don't think it would work in the vacuum. Hmm. Uh, but if you think about Saturn, it's filled with gas clouds. There's loads of molecules in the atmosphere, and as long as there's molecules, sound can travel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, on a planet the size of Saturn, uh, with so much gas molecules all banging together, uh, if you've got something emitting a frequency, uh, you're going to get a, a, a cymatic pattern. And we can see these hexagons in the center of hurricanes on Earth as well. Right, right. So, probably Nazi bees are on Saturn and they're getting ready to attack. That's my guess. Uh, That's the next thing. Uh, <laughs> one, one of the well, things. Who, who the heck would attack planet Earth? I don't, I, mean, I, don't even, I don't even think they'd notice us. It attacks yeah. itself more often than not, anyway. So you yeah. really have to just wait, just sit back and wait. Um, well, what? I had this great thing about aliens the other day there. I was like, I think this Stephen Hawkins. He thought, don't expect to meet any aliens because. Uh, there is so many great things going on in this universe and nebulas and all sorts of things that a, 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 a stupid little blue planet like ours <laughs> uh, that's so insignificant would probably not interest them. One of the things, probably right. <laughs> One of the things I wanted to mention back there that I, I didn't get to to talk about um, when you guys were talking about it is that the the Templars and the Chinese um, the Templars were actually to my knowledge employed to squash the Manichaeists um, back when the Catholic Church was not so friendly with that and they referred to it as the Manichaeists. We could get into the 432 heresy. thing, but I don't think right. Well, anyway, that what I was about to say is. Um, the, there is kind of a connection there because Manichaeism did seem to infiltrate into the Templar side of things. Mm-hmm. Well, they, they were esoteric guys. They, 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 they were um, really interested in the accumulation of knowledge. Right. Uh, and, and since the Library of Alexandria burned in, in uh, 900, uh, there was a, a lot of, a lot of <laughs> thousands of years of knowledge had just gone up in smoke. Or certainly, some of that knowledge had been distributed around Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, so, people like who built Rosen Chapel, Gilbert Hay, um, uh, and the Knight Templars uh, were, were extremely interested in, in, in collecting not esoteric knowledge from all over the world. Well, why not? Because, I mean, uh, the, the Vedics and the Chinese and Tibetans and uh, people all over the world were, 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 were um, using these elements from nature and, um, and, and it was almost like a form of magic, really. Well, it's built over, isn't Rosalind built over a Druidic area, a Druidic site? Well, apparently, yeah, there's a, there's a, 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 a Druid under, underground water stream that goes right underneath that hill that it's mm-hmm. built on. And it was built in a very specific way 
um, to the, uh, monitor the stars, uh, the, the movement of Venus. Right. Uh, you know, Richard Merrick uh, wrote that mm -hmm. wonderful book. Um, Venus that it was all about. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, the Venus transit and and uh, the fact that Roslyn has a has huge amount of Venus connections. Uh, people were really interested in the stars and planets in these days because there wasn't much else to do. And remember, there was no street lamps, so you would get a very clear uh, view of the sky. Mm -hmm. uh, and it must have been quite interesting when it got dark at night and there's nothing much else to do but maybe monitor the movement of lights in the sky. So, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's all intrinsic to people's uh, sort of need to um, understand uh, the world we live in. Right, and bees tie into that because bees, the Melissae, were actually the priestess of Venus. So it kind of makes sense that they would pay homage to uh, the bees at Rosalind if it was, in fact, a Venus kind of uh, temple, so to speak. On the well, yeah, this is coming out of the myth, or, uh, the myths, mm -hmm. um, and and the, the the stories of old, um, because remember what the same way that we were into Robin Hood, uh, the people of uh, Bros and Chapel's time were into Alexander the Great. Mm -hmm. Right. So it all becomes kind of relative, mm -hmm. like a like a repeating pattern of myths becoming other myths. I mean, how many people say today, oh, Bros and Chapel is a lot of myths about Bros and Chapel. But uh, at the time of Rosen, it wasn't. It was uh, that was their technology. That was their, 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 They were at the cut in front of what they thought was um, knowledge. Right. It was fascinating, though. I loved the whole the whole trip. And William the kitty cat sat on my lap and kept me company. I don't. I don't think you mentioned why you were there, Melissa. Did you just go for fun, or did you go to just see the sights and sounds? Well, you know, I went to see Stu. Oh, okay. Just wanted <laughs> to be sure. Spaghetti bolognese. It's <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> right. Went to see Stu, but I got quite the tour because uh, I got a personal tour by by Stuart. You could, but you could be. Uh, I could recommend people to come all the way to Edinburgh to have you uh, tour them around everywhere. We take them well, down yeah, to the I to mean, the uh, pub. My, my current Roslyn Chapel tours are all done on Skype from my. The finest Skype tours this side of the Atlantic. <laughs> you can charge like fifty thousand dollars a tour. You'd do it then, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, here's the other thing as well. It's like um, when when the Da Vinci Code came out, um, it, we'd already done the Roslyn music, and to be honest, it just sat about in my computer for a couple of years before hmm. um, Dan Brown's book came out. And then it was kind of it looked like, you know, oh, this is really opportunistic. You know, this is great that 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 they brought all this attention to Roslyn Chapel because, to be fair. I hadn't really heard about Roslyn Chapel. Hmm. My father was going on about it, saying, "Oh, it's beautiful. You should go and see the carvings and everything. It's been it's been restored, and it's it's really something to go and see." And I put it off and put it off and put it off, and eventually I went out with them and saw it, and I was totally captivated by it. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, at that time, although it was kind of known in the world, uh, not so much as it was after the Da Vinci Code, but we were kind of uh, then accused of jumping on a, a commercial bandwagon with it. Mm -hmm. That's the way it usually goes. Yeah, but you've got proof that you were, you were doing it long before that. Well, that's what I mean, and, and uh, I, I didn't really release it or record it um, uh, until at least we thought like maybe the chapel's become a little bit more popular or, 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 or uh, known about, you know what I mean? Right. Okay, we're going to take another break.
Have you ever lost a loved one? Have you ever lost your job? Ever been down on your luck? Let's face it, these things suck, and love and light doesn't really cut it. For all the things that suck, come to alchemy. Alchemy is the old spiritual practice of taking things that suck and transforming them into things that don't suck. If you wish to contact us, the number to call is 270-564-7771, and you can begin to make that which sucks not suck. Hi, and welcome back to Nearly Sacred. I'm speaking with Stuart Mitchell, and we were discussing all kinds of sorts of interesting things like cymatics, Rosalind Chapel, DNA music, and uh, and some of our projects we haven't discussed yet, which kind of tie all into that. And one of the things that we discussed right before we, we took our break was you were talking about the sofigio. Am I saying that right? Sofigio. Sofigio. Yeah. Sofigio. yeah. Um, and we took a look at a da Vinci painting uh, a few years back Stuart and I got a little obsessed about this and um, it was a painting called the musician and in the musician there is a we know now that uh, da Vinci is holding a piece of paper uh, that has some music on it. We should clarify that da Vinci was most decidedly into esoteric traditions. It's not just totally random that you picked him, correct? Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah. right, right. He was into some deep stuff. So as we started to look deeper at this musician, we started having a lot of fun with it. Uh, Stuart uh, actually decoded, well, he didn't really decode it because the notes were there, but you transposed the music. And what are some of the things that we found? And Drew worked on this as well, right? Uh, no, he ran a mile. <laughs> <laughs> he does. Don't say his name. He's uh, that's not his real name anyway, right? Drew is just his cover name. I must admit, but no, the Da Vinci thing was interesting because uh, it wasn't actually the music wasn't revealed for years. And uh, remember that this painting, the the portrait of a musician. Uh, they took a layer of paint off of it and it revealed a piece of music mm -hmm. that the, this, this guy was holding. And um, not a lot of people know this, but Leonardo da Vinci was a, was a virtuoso um, a viola player. And uh, he created his own uh, uh, violin and viola uh, out of a horse's skull, and he was very interested in the acoustics. That's why he used a horse's skull, huh. uh, because because the head, you know, was was great, and he covered it in silver. Uh, I mean, he was a real artist in in every every sense, and he was also a musician. And if we take that into account, sounds like death metal. His guitar yeah. was like this silver skull. <laughs> I can't believe it. Right it's like hard metal, you know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so much it for Mr. Ed. Astonishing for people at the time to to hear to hear his music uh, played on such instruments. But uh, interestingly, uh, Leonardo da Vinci was one of the early people uh, who discovered cymatics as well, because there's a story that he knocked his table and it, was, it started vibrating very fast and all the powder and whatever stuff uh, elements were on the table, it created a pattern right away. So he noticed this. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Uh, now getting back to this painting, uh, there's, it's a sequence of about sort of 16 notes mm -hmm. on the on the, on the music paper, 
and you can look into this and look into this but basically uh, this melody is is, is 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 a beautiful melody in d minor um and it's it's quite clear the music you can you can tell what the notes are and you wonder to yourself uh you know what that melody meant to to, to put that particular melody down right and uh what did you discover as you started looking deeper into the music actually itself uh, didn't you find uh that it was actually pi well if we take the solfeggio sequence do re mi fa sol la ti do um what they what you can do is you can take each note and and this becomes a sentence in in latin right and so it's like a coded message yeah, we took the do re mi fa sol la sequence because, like you know, sol is the sun. Uh -huh. So that's for an example. Uh, but what 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 we what what we discovered was was something really quite interesting. Was uh, I want my pi matter to be solved? I have the sun. Uh -huh. Is what the music came out with as a translation of this Latin. Mm -hmm. using the torpedo sequence. I want my pi matter to be solved. Uh, I half the sun or half the circle. Mm -hmm. And so what, do you, what do you think that he's trying to say? Do you, do you have any thoughts on that? It, remember, Mel, we went over this and mm -hmm. at the time to, to, to find pi or get, you know, the, 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 what they were all striving to do was nail the sacred geometry numbers like the Fibonacci sequence and, and the pi sequence. And uh, you know how today you get people, kids in India, who can tell you pi to the 120th place. Mm -hmm. uh, this is what they were all trying to really sort of understand and nail as part of nature. Because uh, you know, Da Vinci was completely devoted to nature right. and and um, and the patterns, and in the same way the Chinese were. Um, so uh, the mathematics, uh, there were also ma amazing mathematicians. Uh, Luca Luca Pacioli was his was his uh, mentor and mm -hmm. teacher, and he was an incredible mathematician. And this was this was the um, Renaissance. It's the Rene it was the Renaissance around the time of Da Vinci, wasn't it? Yes. 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 Uh, yeah, and and the Renaissance was uh, including all the ancient Greek, uh, Euclid's geometry, Plato, and all the, all, everything that the church had tried to suppress for maybe a thousand years. The Medici's. Starting uh, to, to, to come back into public knowledge again through people like Da Vinci. So I think this piece of music is mundane and, and interesting as it is. Uh, it is, is, is trying to tell us a lot about what they were still not quite allowed to express everything about knowledge that they wanted so they would they would put them in forms like this oh well, they were i think they were using music we kind of discussed this before as they, they were actually sending coded messages to each other through the music by using that scale and right. writing writing letters and and coded messages within the music itself yeah yeah using the mi fa sequences um right the, the musicians and, and of course like in these days uh, it, musicians, um, they call it musical riddles, but uh, in these days, musicians were 
very esoteric as well. They were interested in acoustic physics. They were interested in, uh, you know, the, 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 the spirituality of music. And a lot of musicians were commissioned by the church to compose music for the church. But I'm telling you, most of the musicians in these days were probably uh, as fired up of, uh, about science and mathematics as uh, Leonardo da Vinci was. Right, right. So, um, what do you have going on now? You have something new that you kind of sent me a really cool link to uh, that yeah, has to do uh, with the Shroud of Turin. The Shroud of Turin uh, DNA came online um, a month ago. Um, they took some blood samples uh, and did the processing, and then the sequence was uploaded to um, this database. And I brought it down and we did our process and, and listened back to the melody and I crafted it a little um, uh, by adding uh, instruments from the time uh, of the Shroud. Uh, now, the Shroud's full of controversy. Mm -hmm. uh, we might say the J word, uh, we might even say the Templar word connection. It might not be anything at all, but mm -hmm. there, was, there, was, there was human DNA found on it and um, the music that uh, was produced was incredibly beautiful. Um, you'll probably be able to play a bit on the program. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, but really, I just want people to make up their own minds about it. I'm, I'm not a big fan of sort of myths and things these days. Um, I, I, I would like people just to listen to it for what it is um, and uh, make their own minds up about it. Uh, but it's interesting that 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 uh, how this all kind of ties in with everything we've been doing over the last fifteen years with the Roslyn, right? The, Mass, the Templars, uh, DNA, and then we end up listening back to the Shroud of Turin because it's on a DNA database, and I find this really quite interesting. You kind of seem to be you can't get away from it. It seems to be kind of what what's going on with you. It's. <laughs> You can't get away, but I mean, you're you're dealing with you know, I mean, the myths of creation in all of nature. So how can that kind of it, it all ties together anyway? But uh, I kind of have my own theory that Da Vinci actually went to Roslyn and, and was part of it. And I I started on a connection, and but I haven't I haven't got it all the way down. But I'm working on it. Wasn't there a guy named Was he the Chicken Man of uh, Edinburgh or something? He was like the first man to fly, and he like crashed. Uh, I think that was my connection that I have because I think he was using uh, Da Vinci's ideas about flying in his wings, and um, he was uh, also connected to the French royalty. And, and uh, we know that Da Vinci ended his life staying at uh, Chateau Ambois, uh, yeah. Honey, which ties back to uh, Rosalind Chapel and the bees and Venus and all that. Yeah. Well, the thing is that they were all mutually trying to pass knowledge on and uh, this is why they always sort of say well why is it always hidden and why is it hidden and coded encoded into this you know because uh, they were probably scared for their lives oh yeah definitely i mean if you if you went into Roslyn chapel in 1446 and pulled out a metal plate uh threw some salt on it and bowed it with a violin <laughs> bow and uh these beautiful geometric patterns uh, arrived on the plate a bit like what you know we do with metal filings and things today. Mm -hmm. People would think you were in league with the devil. <laughs> right. They were, they, were, they were so afraid of the advancement of technology. Today we kind of take the advancement of technology as something like by the by, you know, wow, great new discovery. 
but we don't have the suppression of the the uh, Inquisition or the or you know uh, being looked upon uh, because people conformed to the church because they were afraid. No one expects the Inquisition. Nobody expects. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, well, that's, well, yeah, exactly. And uh, I, I'm sure they put the, all this into paintings and into stone. And, and uh, even remember that thing that came up uh, uh, lately about Plato, uh, that Plato had encoded music into his thing. I didn't into, hear about one, that. One no, I hadn't heard about that. What is that? Uh, well, the, the, interestingly, a scientist had, had discovered that Plato had, uh, it maybe not in any probably um, so underhand way, but he, he encoded uh, uh, music into his writings in the, uh, oh, what's the name of the book? Um, one of Plato's most famous books. Uh, the Republic. He, he, uh, it's online somewhere. Just type in Plato secret code. And uh, he didn't, he'd embedded this music into it. And it's much the same as what Rosin Chapel did, but it also in, it was, it was um, entwined with knowledge. Now, Stuart, uh, you, should, you should look at it and then see and do, do the, the way that you uh, decoded uh, the Da Vinci painting and see what he was saying. Yeah, I bet you it's mathematical again. Or you could use the Sofeggio. Yeah, Plato. Pla oh, yeah, you should try it. Pla do, do do a couple lines. Plato was pretty big on certain numbers, like fifty forty. Like that was a big one for him. He thought Atlantis was tied to it. That's right. Yeah, he's, he, I mean they were all amazing mathematicians, and this all just stopped. Yeah. Uh, for a thousand years, and and it was it, it was actually almost illegal to. I mean, remember people used to have secret libraries and books right. were burned. Uh, all knowledge was trying to be controlled. In fact, there was a saying um, that Pope, Pope, somebody or other, had said uh, way back in the 10th century, uh, there is nothing that humanity needs to know because the church knows everything there is to know. That's convenient. I'm glad somebody does. Well, uh, yeah, it's kind of convenient to say, okay, everybody <laughs> shut up because uh, <laughs> you're easier to control when you're yeah. living in ignorance. Shut up and also give us money. Right. <laughs> Yeah, shut up and give us money yeah. <laughs> and lots of music. All right, so Stuart, we know that if uh, we want to know more about you um, or or your works and your albums, um, we can go to Stuart Mitchell Stuart Mitchell dot com. And um, is there anything you would like to discuss? What what kind of projects do you have going on? What's your newest newest album? Well, uh Next big thing is the uh, Classic FM Hall of Fame, uh, which is uh, starting up in about two weeks. And uh, uh, it, okay, I'm so honored, uh, uh, Mel and JB. Um, 20 years ago, when I really got into composition, honestly, uh, you could knock me over with a feather if you had told me that I would be included in the top 300 pieces of uh, voted pieces of classical music. <laughs> Uh, and it's, it's such a great honor yeah. um, uh, to be involved with that. And also, it, it brings me some quite good royalties every year as well. Good. Just, writing, just writing music. Uh, but uh, no, no, um, uh, if anybody uh, would like to support us with their music, um, uh, a vote for Seven Wonders in the Hall of Fame for two six, 2016 would be uh, greatly appreciated. And 216 is a very, very special number. 
So I'm hoping this year is really good for all the projects that we've been working on for the last 16 years. So um, I've got a very good feeling about this year and I appreciate you guys having me on the program. We enjoyed it. Yes, Stu. It's a great honor to have you and to know you as a friend. And thank you for giving us your time and uh, your knowledge. And I'm sure that uh, people will be uh, hitting us up for more questions. We'll probably have you come back some other time again and talk about more things. Because as you and I know, we could discuss things and go on and on for hours and hours. But uh, we're keeping this to around an hour show. I think that's what most people's limits are usually. But uh, thanks anyway um, for uh, being on today and uh, being awesome as you are. Pleasure. <laughs> and we'll, we'll talk to you later. All right, guys. Okay. Great show. Thanks for having me on. Okay, thanks, too. It's that time of the show where we read the credits. For music, we had Hildegard von Biggen, which is composed by Stuart Mitchell. We had Inspired by Oceans, Abhavnev Agnehotri. I really hope I said that one right. Nicola Headless Five Years Ago. And we also had the Rosalind Motet, which is again by Stuart Mitchell. We're going to have some other music by Stuart up on our website, such as the really slowed down Chopin prelude, uh, along with the shroud music. So you can go to nearlysacred.com and check that out. Also, if you have any questions for us, you can feel free to ask us at nearlysacred.com. That email address again is askus at nearlysacred.com, I should say. And that pretty much sums it up. We appreciate your listening. And we hope that you check back in for our next interview. 